I'm very glad to come to both the reading and the teaching of God's Word, recognizing that what happens tonight is not just an intellectual exercise. I've spent time studying God's Word, but really this is now a spiritual exercise, both in the proclamation of God's Word, but also in the receiving of God's Word. And so to that end, even before we come to the reading of God's Word, I'm going to ask if we could bow our heads and our hearts before Almighty God. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, your word is true, it is without error, it is sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. This evening, Father God, would you teach us by your word that we might walk on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord God, would you show us Jesus Christ in your word that we might Gaze upon his glories and his beauty and his splendor and his majesty. And Father, we might be transformed. Holy Spirit, would you draw us by your word that the Father might be glorified, that the Son might be lifted up, that your people might be set apart in this place and that you might receive much glory even this evening. This we ask your people in the wonderful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, friends, the the passage that we're looking at tonight is Psalm 134. It's a psalm, so it's roughly halfway in your Bible. Uh, If you could turn in your own Bibles, you can follow it. It's it's just three verses, so it's not going to take us a long time to read it. But I do want us to read it so that we have it near to mind. We're going to work through it carefully this evening. Last week's sermon was, my children said the shortest sermon I ever preached. It was just over 25 minutes. So I banked that time, and I'm going to use it tonight. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You would think a short psalm would be a short sermon, but it doesn't work like that. (laughs) In the honor of the reading of God's word, I am going to ask if all God's people would please stand at this stage. Friends, hear the word of God. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Amen? Please be seated. R.C. Sproul noted a recent survey of people who used to be church members and revealed that the main reason why they stopped going to church was that they found it boring. It is difficult for many people to find worship a thrilling and moving experience. To that end, uh, an analogy, a Sunday school teacher asked her children as they were on their way to the church service, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And one bright little girl, we can call her Mary Jane, replied, because people are sleeping. (laughs) R.C. notes 
that people have difficulty finding worship thrilling and moving. And MJ notes how many people sleep during the service. Now, I'm not looking at you in particular when I say that, but don't fall asleep tonight. It'll, it'll look bad and people will notice. I think too many people sleep through services, if not physically, then spiritually in our day and age. That might be talking to you. This evening, the psalmist would call saints out of their slumber. He would call upon you to worship the Lord. And he would pray that the Lord would bless you. I want to do those same two things this evening because those are the main points of Psalm 134. To call, a, uh, to call on us to bless the Lord and a prayer on us for the Lord's blessing. So to guide us through the short psalm, I've asked six basic observational questions. A what question, a who question, a when question, a where question, a how question, and a why question. And I want to I be very explicit how the psalm is laid out and how we're going to work through it. And so I'd like us to work through each question as you look at your own Bibles, and we'll do it in step-by-step fashion. I'm going to work through it quickly now, and then we'll go back and work through it in a little bit more detail. And then we'll apply each observation that we've made into our lives. So read verse 1a with me. It says, Come, bless the Lord. And I've asked the question, what is worship? If you look at 1b, I've asked the second question where we read, all you servants of the Lord. And I've asked the question, who is to worship? In 1c, as you carry on reading in your Bibles, we read, who stand by night. And I've asked the question, when do servants worship? The last phrase in verse 1 reads, in the house of the Lord, and I've asked the question, where do servants worship? And then in the whole of verse 2, we're going to deal with that in one section, it says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And I've asked the question, how do servants worship? And then look at verse 3 with me. It says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And I've asked the question, why do servants worship? That's how we're going to treat the psalm this evening in those six steps. We're going to now work through it step by step and then apply it into our lives. So let's ask that first question, what is worship? What is Worship, And we're looking at that first phrase in verse 1. Come bless the Lord. The first word in that first phrase is come. And it really just means look, behold, pay attention to this. This is a short psalm, but this is important. Give your full attention to what gets said tonight. And to the praise and worship that issues forth out of it. The other word, yeah, come bless the Lord. The Lord, yeah, is Jehovah. 
Jehovah is the self-existent, the uh, eternal one. It's the Jewish national name for God. Behold, come bless Jehovah. The word bless is fascinating. It's actually why I chose this particular song. It's a primitive Hebrew root word which means to kneel. And so by implication, to bless God is an act of adoration. To bless is to kneel. To bless is an act of worship. It is a profession of adoration of God, all who He is and all what He does. So what is worship? That's the question that we're asking from this phrase. And the answer is, worship is to bless the Lord. It is to come before Him. It is to acknowledge how grateful we are for who He is and for what He has done. Now, I'm going to apply this right at the very end, but right now, you should at least, those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, be a bit excited because God has done so much for us. And so when we hear the words, come bless the Lord, our response is we really do want to do that. Well, yeah, is the second question. Who is to worship? And it's that second phrase in verse 1. All you servants of the Lord. Who is to worship? Well, the, the answer is in the text. The servants of the Lord are to worship. This is almost certainly speaking of the Levite priests in the tabernacle. Psalm 134 is a psalm of ascent. It's the, it's the last psalm of ascent. These are 15 psalms that were sung by pilgrims as they were heading up the foothills towards Jerusalem on holy pilgrimage. The psalm is the final psalm in the set and was likely sung by the pilgrims as they retired, as they left the temple complex at the end of, say, the, the long day of worship. As night came, as the night shift of priests began their duties of cleaning the temple, of keeping the fire on the altar lit through the night, and of guarding the valuable temple instruments. The Levites had been set aside in God's word to the task of serving God, of ministering to God. And so who is the psalm eliciting worship from? And the answer is the servants of the Lord. In this case, the Levite priests. Which brings us to the third question. When do servants worship? It's answered in the next phrase. Who stand by night? Who stand by night? Uh, the Levites worshipped God night and day. Or they served God. They ministered to God night and day. There was plenty that needed to be done in the temple complex. The temple complex, by the way, is huge. Uh, I mean, if you think of Loftus, uh, it's that kind of size, it's that kind of grandeur. I, I've sat on the, the Mount of Olives looking down over the Temple Mount, and it just stretches. It's a, it's a massive complex. This massive complex would have been inundated with people. They say that the population of Jerusalem around the time of Christ was around twenty-five to 40,000 people. But during the feast Days during the, the high feasts, uh, three times a year, up to a quarter of a million people would come into the city. Those people would descend or ascend uh, to the Temple Mount and would be there worshiping for the day. But you can imagine uh, the logistics of cleaning up Loftus 
after the Blue Bulls have played. Um, I mean, there, there would be the necessary uh, toil of cleaning the area. The same would be true of the temple complex. As Israel worshipped the Lord, the area would need to be cleaned. Uh, the brass ware in the temple complex would need to be polished. Uh, the fire would need to be stoked and kept aflame all night long. There is plenty of work to do for the Levite priests, both during the day as well as night. When do servants worship? Night and day, evening to morning. Where do servants worship? Well, in this psalm at the end of verse 1, we get a clear picture. In the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is, or rather was, a magnificent temple complex in Jerusalem, which stood at the top of the temple mount. The great temple was built to be the permanent resting place of the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments. By this time, the psalm was written, it is likely that the first temple, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed, and the second temple had been envisaged or had been constructed. Because the temple was the focal point for worship of the entire nation, all the nation was required to come to Jerusalem at least three times a year for religious festivals. This was mandated in the Mosaic, in the Mosaic law. You can check that out in Exodus chapter 23, verse 14. And many, many Levites were required to be on site to facilitate the smooth ordering of worship. And so to answer the question, where do servants worship, you would answer at the temple. Which brings us to our fifth question. How do servants worship? In verse 2, we read that they lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Our psalm says, lift up your hands. Baptists, we've got to talk. <laughs> the scriptures are comprehensive regarding the use of our bodies in worship. Different words and different phrases in Scripture talk of, wor of worshipers lifting up their hands. I'm going to give you a number of examples of different phrases because I think this is important to illustrate the point of how important our body is in worship. So for example, the lifting up of hands is spoken about in Psalm 141, verse 2, Lamentations 3, verse 41, and Psalm 63, verse 4. And there are too many examples for me to list all of them. And so the examples which I'm highlighting are just illustrative so that you get the point. Lifting up of hands is spoken about in uh, Psalm 28, verse 1 to 2, Psalm 134, verse 1 to 3, and Habakkuk verse 3, verse 10. Stretching out your palms is spoken about in Exodus chapter 9 verse 29, 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 28 to 30, and Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12 to 15. Spreading out your hands upward is spoken about in Psalm 143 verse 5 to 6. Lifting up your hands is spoken about in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 to 6, and stretching out your hands in Psalm 77 verse 2. Let me read some of the examples to you in order to make the point. 
Psalm 28 verse 2, and each one of these is a different example, a different phraseology in terms of how we are to worship with our bodies. Psalm 28 verse 2 says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, I will lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 19 says, this is just such beautiful poetry. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him. Psalm 63 verse 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then just to show that this isn't only an Old Testament uh, use and an Old Testament worship style, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8 says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now the emphasis of each of these verses is less about posture and more about the attitude of our heart. I want to make that clear. Uh, There's no specific way that we are commanded to worship the Lord in. In actual fact, there are so many diverse ways that we to come before God. One can't say we we to praise God lying down, praise God standing up, praise God sitting, or praise God with our hands in any particular direction. However, the lifting up of hands is an appropriate heart posture for a heart that is bent towards God. Other postures of worship include standing, include kneeling, include prostrating ourselves, include lifting our eyes up, include casting our eyes down, even clapping our hands, Baptists. (laughs) These postures of worship aren't required but they are appropriate. As a commentator writes, we must avoid singing without understanding, praying without heart, giving without enjoyment, kneeling only with our limbs. That is not divine worship. All soulless, willless, heartless, Christless worship is the opposite of divine worship. To heartily bless the Lord is to lift up holy hands in supplication, to sing songs of love and praise to a divine Savior, to give as unto the Lord, to attend church in order to meet with Christ and His people. That is divine worship. Which brings us to the question, why do servants worship? We see that in verse 3. It's a prayer. This psalm really has two divisions, even though I've given it six questions. Two divisions. The one is a call on us to worship Almighty God, and then the second division is a prayer for us that He might bless us. It says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. It's a prayer. This morning, Charles read and preached from the song of Moses. And as he got to the end, Uh, He reminded us uh, that we expect the Lord, our salvation, to save us in our time of need precisely because we have seen Him do it over and over in the past. 
It's one of the reasons why we sing of the great deeds that God has done. He has demonstrated His ability to bless. He is able to bless. And so we can pray that God will bless. What is worship is the first question from verse 1. Who is to worship is the second question from verse 1. When do servants worship is the third question from verse 1. Where do servants worship is the fourth question from verse 1. How do servants worship is from verse 2. And why do servants worship is from verse 3. How does this apply to us today? Because there's no Levite priests amongst us. So how do we apply this in our day-to-day lives? What is worship? It can be applied to believers. Friends, those of you who profess faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, it is our greatest duty to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. (laughs) Worship is to bless the Lord. It is to come before Him and acknowledge how grateful we are for who He is and for what He has done. Friend, bend yourself to this all-encompassing life task. Second question, who is to worship? The answer was servants of the Lord, and I'd like to apply this to unbelievers who are here this evening. Have you ever been to a, uh, a pool party? where someone jumps into the water and the people around them experience something of the splash. It's kind of how you are experiencing church. While believers are jumping into the pool, shouting and celebrating and enjoying their Savior, you are on the sidelines gazing in. While as an unbeliever you do get to attend worship services, you need to understand that you are standing on the sidelines. It's time to join us, to worship alongside of us, as one of us. In order to do that, friend, you need to acknowledge your sinful state before a holy God. In order to do that, you need to recognize that there is nothing in and of yourself that can save you from the sure condemnation which is to come. In order to do that, you need to recognize that Jesus Christ has paid the price that your sin rightly deserves. In order to do that, you need to confess that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. The payment has been made in full. Friend, in order to do that, you must repent of your sins. Cast yourself upon the person of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead and you will live. Living water will be given to you. It will reside in you and it will spill out of you. The question, when do servants worship? can be applied to believers. I mean, the point is obvious here. We serve a God all of the time with all of our lives. While the Levites served in the temple at night because someone was required to keep the fire on the altar lit, lit, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
you are required to constantly keep the oil in your lamp burning. Your life is to be presented as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and that is your spiritual act of worship. This isn't a Sunday evening activity, although I do realize very often on a Sunday evening you preach to the choir, but this isn't just a Sunday evening activity. This is an every day of your life, the whole of your life activity. Where do servants worship? At this stage, I'd like to apply the point Not so much that we can worship everywhere, because that is true, and that we can worship all of the time, because that is true. But I want to make another point that is closer to the text. Psalm 134 is about corporate worship. It's about pilgrims coming to Jerusalem to worship at one of the great feasts, when every member of the nation of Israel gathered to worship God together. Biblical worship is very often relational worship. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. In the early church, the first record of that excited, spiritful, vibrant Jerusalem church, we see them meeting in one another's houses and gathering in the temple courts to worship, to pray, to glorify God. We see in chapter 4, they they gathered to pray to Almighty God as the Spirit filled them and shook the room, and they were filled with great boldness. In chapter 20, we see them gathering on the first day of the week. Friends, we gather. The The church gathers. And so you must gather too. We've gone through a sermon, a season, sorry, where gathering was legally constrained, and where it wasn't, It may have been that some felt that the time hadn't come to re-enter into corporate social gatherings, but the time has now come. We are to gather with God's people and raise a hallelujah in the sanctuary. The church is to be a gathered church. And so the encouragement would be to those who are watching the stream this evening to come back to church and to enjoy the praises and the worship of God's people. How do servants worship? There's a a website that I enjoy reading. It's called Babylon Bee. It's a website devoted to satire, Christian-themed satire. Uh, Satire is the the use of humor, uh, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, and Babylon Bee does it really well. I read a Babylon Bee article this week. Now, this is satirical, right? Psalms experts have been quoted saying, lift up your hands actually means just stand there with your hands in your pockets. (laughs) Academia's foremost experts on Hebrew, on the book of Psalms, are now claiming that the phrase often translated as lift up your hands is actually better rendered just stand there with your hands in your pockets. (laughs) The article went on to say, scholarship now suggests that rather than lifting up your arms in worship to God, the best way to convey affection, adoration, and reverence is by standing as still as possible while singing praises to Him. You may rock from side to side tentatively while you do that. Friends, can I encourage you to express yourself in worship to one degree or another 
recognizing that not everyone will express themselves in the same way. But we worship a God who we are to love with all of our hearts, with our souls, with our mind, and with our strength. Part of the way that we worship God is with our bodies. And if your heart is pointed to God in worship, it is not illegal for you to point your hands to Him and express that in a visible way. Why do we worship? I said that the psalm was divided into two parts, right? We are to bless the Lord, and then a prayer that we will be blessed by the Lord. Friends, we bless the blesser. We worship the ultimate giver. You can never out-bless or out-give our Lord. Worship Him in abandon and enjoy the spiritual blessings which He gives to us with unfettered love because He is our Father in heaven and we are His children here below. Let's close in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, we read about worship all over the place in your word. Think of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well and saying that the Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. Might that be true of us? Lord God, might we be guided by your word in our worship? Love your word, honor your word. See your son in your word. Worship him with hearts that are pointed toward heaven, that you might receive much praise and glory from your people here below. Lord God, we recognize that every good gift comes from above. And even this evening, Father, I have no doubt that there are many who are watching in and many that are sitting here that are in need, Father. Even as we cry out to you, even as your people call upon your name, we recognize that you are our Father in heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and nothing is too difficult for you. Lord God, as we see your hand moving in our lives, moving in our community, would we turn every blessing back to you in praise, that we as a people might be seen by a watching world to be set apart by God, worshipers, true worshipers of God, might that worship be attractive? Uh, might people long to have that which we have in Christ, that you might receive much praise and glory? And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Amen.